0: Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. Um, well, like I said, I'm David Palishuk. I'm the author of a book called Branding Bud. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I've been in the industry for about 12 years now. I'm a consultant um, and own a company called the Branding Bud Consulting Group. Branding Bud Consulting Group comes from my book, Branding Bud, uh, which was launched uh, April of last year. I can't believe it's 2022 uh, and then the book went on to be the number one selling book on Amazon for six months Running in two categories, which is green business and logo and brand design That's um, not necessarily about the book But what that is indicative of is where we are You know that, that people are reaching out to Amazon to find books and to get educated and, and to learn more about what's going on in the cannabis space so that's that's really huge and, and Franny touched upon the education side of things and that we're able to um, learn new things every day which is really cool that's what excites me about the industry Um, so I am going to talk about creating a meaningful brand a meaningful cannabis or here cannabinoid brand Um, so I'll go through that and then we'll open it up to questions where am I pointing this somewhere in this direction No, there it is. Okay. All right, so more often than not, when I sit in a room like like you folks and listen to somebody up on a stage, I'm like, who is this person and and what can they offer me? So um, I'm old. I have uh, 25 years of marketing and branding experience at MasterCard, American Express, uh, Microsoft, and Pepsi with a specific focus at Mountain Dew at Pepsi and Xbox at Microsoft. So where that ties into me is really lifestyle marketing, which is really what we do here in terms of branding. And it's taken me a while to figure it out, but um, there is a tie in between credit cards and the banking industry and cannabis. And what's that? That's trust marketing, right? So don't leave home without it or priceless or those types of things. That's what they're doing out here. Some of them successfully, some of them not. But at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is tell people about their brand and sell their brand. And essentially a brand is a promise, right? So if you can't live up to that, if your credit card doesn't work when you need it at the terminal, you'll never trust American Express or MasterCard or Visa, right, so trust marketing is something and trust branding is something that's really important, especially in our industry. Would, would you mind doing that? That cool. So uh, just some other things. You know, I've been in the industry for twelve years now. Four of them. I worked at Dope Magazine up in Seattle. Um, I was the uh, vice president of brand partnerships and licensing, and helped a lot of brands take their brands across states and and create licenses. Um, I also was the chief brand officer at Evergreen Herbal, which is the number one producer processor in Washington State. So we produced everything from gummies and edibles and beverages and flower products as well. Next slide, please. So what's, what does meaningful mean, right? How do, how do you create uh, a meaningful brand? So what does meaning mean? What does meaning mean and meaningful mean? It, it basically means <clears throat> having a serious, important or useful quality or purpose, but probably maybe even more important is something that's not directly expressed. Right? Something that you connect with. And that's really important in terms of why, um, and it's actually what Franny just said too. You know, why people connect with her brand because it's a woman owned brand, because she uses all the quality components in it to build it, those types of things. So we're looking to connect with people in meaningful ways. Otherwise, it's just bullshit. It's just pretty much what she just said, right? It's vegan when it shouldn't be called vegan. Um, I'm surprised there's more. Uh, there's not more gluten-free products out here as well, right? So um, it doesn't really apply, but people still use it for marketing. Next slide, please. So what's a brand? <clears throat> well, whether we're talking about a product, a service, or anything else, a brand is a promise. And it's the ability to consistently deliver on that promise. You set an expectation, and if you can deliver on it or exceed it, you're great. And if you can't, you're a flop. And you get the ability as a brand, you have the ability as a brand owner to basically create your level of expectation. Are you a value brand? You know, it's cheap and will get me stoned. That's a certain level, but then there's different levels, right? So the higher you set your levels, um, the more you have to deliver and the more you'll have to manage everybody's expectations. Thank you. So now we're gonna talk about the four pillars of creating a meaningful brand. So the first one is a consumer type. The second one is their need state and ritual. The third one is the form factor. Then there's a brand archetype, and those all add up to equal a meaningful brand. It's kind of weird to put into an equation um, what is a meaningful brand, because there's so many metrics and so many moving parts in terms of creating a meaningful brand, but these are basically the four pillars, um, and I'll talk through each one of them now. Okay, so what's a consumer type? Well, they're consumers and everybody has their own needs and individual interests and perspectives. So we need to better understand the consumer and better understand their lifestyle, their psychographics, their demographics, and really where they where they are in, in the consumer um, spectrum. So if you think of the there's six uh, there's the can of core, there's the kind of comfortable, kind of curious, kind of confused, kind of neutral, and the kind of contra. If you think of these in concentric circles, right, there's the core and everybody that's really in the core is in the center, they're probably like us because we're here and we're spending our weekend here learning about this, Um, and the further you move out, you know, all the way to kind of contra, the folks that don't care or are against it, you have different conversations with them, right? So what's really important here is meeting the consumer where they are. So for me, the best, the best analogy I could make of this is a swimming pool. And I'm in the swimming pool, and I've got a whole bunch of friends and family around the swimming pool. I have to talk to each one of those people differently to get them into the pool. So, I'm making this up, right? So my uncle, who's an Olympic swimmer, he's cool. He's gonna jump right in the pool in the deep end. But my son, who doesn't know how to swim and is eight years old, Um, I'm gonna have to say come in, come in on the shallow end, you know, and my mother who's dipping the toe in the pool saying Oh, it's too cold. I have to address. No, it's really not as cold as you think. It's warm once you get in right And there's all these different conversations that need to happen with different types of consumers And so it's really important um, to address those conversations and I think I think our industry is doing a pretty poor job of that, right, you know, it's we don't know we don't necessarily know who we're talking to, we don't know how knowledgeable they are, and that ranges anything from what's the sleepy one and what's the invigorating one, all the way through do, to does CBD get me high? Um, you know, there's all these questions that, that are still unanswered. And um, and even me, I consider myself an expert, but every week there's a different cannabinoid which comes out, you know, it's like is it C- CBG or, What's HHC? We were joking about that at dinner the other night. And it's like, holy shit, I can't keep up with all this stuff. But it's fun trying, nonetheless. So, um, so a consumer type is really their lifestyle, who they are, how educated they are, um, and where they fall within the spectrum. And we try to meet them there and speak to them there. Next slide, please. So, so now, really, I think that might be two slides forward. that's, there we go. Um, Okay, so need, state, and ritual. So now if we're talking about a consumer, what is that consumer and who is that consumer? And everybody has a different need, state, and ritual. Let's just start off, and again, forgive these stereotypes, right? But let's just say there's a soccer mom. That soccer mom is going to use cannabis in probably a very different way than, I don't know, a 21-year-old skateboarder. Right? And, and these types of things are really different, not only how they consume, but what they want from that consumption. So not too long ago, I'd say a couple of years ago, I was at a park in Seattle where I live and my son who's 12, so at the time he was 10, he was playing with all his friends. And all of the mothers, I was the only dad there, and all of the mothers um, kind of got around this little circle and I'm like, what's going on here? And one of the mothers said, does anybody want a mommy mint? And I looked, and it was this box called Moxie Mints, and I know Tim Moxie who created Moxie Mints, and I'm like, those aren't mommy mints, those are Moxie Mints, you know? And then they all like, you know, they, they just had this like, oh my God, we're caught. And um, I said, so you ladies are sitting around the park microdosing all day while, while our kids are playing on the swings, right? And they're like, you know, turning red as I'm going through this. And they said, how do you know about it? And I said, well, I'm in the cannabis industry. So we all sort of took a deep breath and you know, went on with it. But what's interesting is if you think, if you think about that park, if you have, and again, generalizations, but if you have a skateboard park on the other side of the park, you know, the kid rolls up, he lights up his joint, uh, the smoke waps across the park, the mothers kind of give the kids a dirty look, the kids look back and they're like, ah, oh, fuck you moms, but that's what it's all about, right? When you're a 17-year-old skateboarder, that's exactly what you want. You want the, you know, so it's a counterculture thing. It's sort of showing who you are. But those moms are watching their kids, minding their kids, they're still consuming, but they're consuming in micro doses, right? And they're doing it discreetly because they don't want anybody to know. So it's just really interesting that there's discrete means of consumption, there's indiscreet means of consumption, There's getting your socks knocked off, there's microdosing throughout the day. And these are all need states and rituals. Um, you know, and you could balance this out with uh, somebody that might take a tincture in the evening to go to sleep, somebody that might wake up and wake and bake in the morning, you know, and pack their bong with their cup of coffee. So it just really depends on who you are, how you consume, when you consume. I think there's also a couple of things which are really important. There's um, a subtractive, I call it subtractive and additive. right? So how do you use cannabis products? It depends, and it depends on when. And sometimes you can use different products for different things. But the additive and subtractive is, so subtractive is alleviating something. So think of when you take an Advil or a Tylenol. You're in a totally different mind state than you are with what I call additive, which is more about aspirational, or um, getting me to focus, or getting me into a creative mood, or um, you know, it's, it's time for hanky-panky and, and you know, we're using it for that, whatever it is, but I can't remember the last word time I used the word hanky-panky, so. Um, but uh, but uh, nonetheless, so again, this is a mindset, right? You, you know, additive or subtractive, um, and it's really different. So when you come to cannabis and approach cannabis and consume cannabis, it's really important to sort of and as brand owners and as we create brands and products, it's important to have these things in our head, right? So subtractive and additive is important. The indiscreet and discreet is important, especially during the pandemic. You know, I think a lot of people change their form factor. Um, again, stereotype, but <clears throat> maybe a mother would smoke a joint, but now that her kids are home from school, or a father for that matter, um, would smoke a joint, but now they can't, so they consume in different ways. And at different times and some microdose now throughout the day um, And and again, it just depends and I think we've seen all we've seen pretty much shift over the last couple of years in our Life and lifestyle and we've seen those things reflected in Cannabis, you know, we've seen um, Value brands take off, you know, why because people are buying more because they don't want to go out You know and, and spend time around people we've seen the uh, cannabis dispensary services take off. We've seen um, adult use stores offer up um, you know, sidewalk services so you don't have to go in the store, you can order before. So there's a whole bunch of things which, um, which have changed over the last couple of years. And then one last thing on, on this slide is repetitive or habitual. I think, again, if we're talking about those moments where we're looking for focus or inspiration or alleviating pain, they typically happen on a regular basis. You know, maybe it's after a workout, maybe it's before sex, whatever it is, but they typically, or before you go to sleep, whatever it is, they typically are more often than not ritualistic or or habitual things that we do. Next slide, please. So based on that, right? So if there's things that we do at certain times of the day and we're looking for certain um, uh, benefits from it, there are certain form factors too. And so those form factors are, and this is just a short list, but basically flour, pre-rolls, edibles, topicals, tinctures, capsules, beverages, sublingual slips, transdermal patches, uh, the, the list kind of goes on. Um, you know, and within each one of those categories, there's there are subcategories as well. So again, it just depends on what that form factor is and how it fits into your, your ritual, your daily ritual. Um, can you smoke? Um, maybe you can maybe you're on lunch and you know you can't show back up to the office smelling like weed Um, so there's just different things that that cause us to act in certain ways throughout our day Um, and again as brand owners we need to think about these things we need to think about who's consuming how they're consuming when they're consuming and finally approach them in a way that's meaningful to them Um, the next slide please so in my 12 years of um, working in the industry, the thing, and in traveling to every state where it's legal or not legal, um, what I've noticed is there are certain types of brands over and over and over again, right? So what I came up with is the 14 cannabis brand archetypes. And I just wanna call out, they're not mutually exclusive, so it's not one or the other, but these are sort of the things that just show up again and again and again. And while there's 14 now, I actually have two more, um, which makes my book outdated already. But, um, <laughs> and, and if anybody has any other archetypes, I'd love to hear them because, you know, these are the buckets or the ways that we speak to people. And so just to just to um, use this as an analogy, what, what is a brand archetype? A brand archetype is a shortcut. It's just a way for you to connect with the brand quickly. And that's, packaging, the colors, the font, the graphics, all of that stuff. So if it's a sustainable package or product, what is it in, right? It's typically craft paper and the ink is soy ink and then it's green or blue and you know it immediately. That's what a brand archetype is. So the the best way that I could talk about this in in a way that is understood really quickly is if I were to play five seconds of, of music right now and I just played country, rap, jazz, and classical. I'd be able to say pretty quickly, do you like that sound or not? And if you're not into country, you'd be like, oh, that's country, no. Or classical, no, not my thing. Or hip hop, yeah, I love it. And just like that, like you could pick up the beats and you could know if this is something you're into or not. And it's not about the song. It's, It's about the riffs of the song. It's about the feeling of the song. It's not the song itself. So what's cool in this case is you're able to start to speak to people really quickly, um, as quick as possible. And you either repel them or you pull them in and it's like, what, what's that? That's a cool product. Um, you know, it's a charity-based product or a gender-based product. So anyway, I'll start off by going through these. So counterculture, by nature, every cannabis product is a counterculture you know, brand, so to speak, but, but there are, and actually there's lots of them out here. There's just, you know, in your face, um, but there's a couple which are really in your face here. It's like one, one puff and you're addicted. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, so, you know, so to me, that's a counterculture brand. That's really in your face. Um, a nostalgic brand. Well, let me go through uh, Prohibition, right? So many brands are based on Prohibition, telling the story, um, using the alcohol story, as well as the cannabis story to tell everything about prohibition. So there are some that really relate to that. I think Lowell is a great um, brand out of California that's sort of played up on that. They've got a lot of imagery around that and prohibition. Um, You know, the counterculture brand are typically the louder, more colorful brands um, that are in your face, nostalgic brands. There's um, a brand out of California called Vacation. There's Old Pal. And these brands typically tend to relate to older people. Right? The older you are, the more nostalgic you are. But there's a lot of psychological research that, that, that basically anchors, um, anchors what we loved between the ages of 17 and 21. And I don't know about you, but I listen to the same music that I listened to when I was, be, when I was between 17 and 21. Um, and I still tend to go back to these things. And that's basically you know, what nostalgia is. And so if you can leverage those things, that bring people back, Um, you know, and it could be packaging, it could be a name of a brand, it could even be strains, you know, it it could be um, Acapulco Gold, it could be all these things that, you know, that I hear my older brother talking about and it's like, really? Okay, but again, he relates back to that, and so those types of brands are really strong with older people. Novelty brands or funny brands, Um, you know, they tend to be a little, more difficult to work with you know just because they they're sort of a one-liner brand um, uh, there's uh, there's um, impeachments is a great example so impeachments is a brand out of um, Washington and uh, they are peach mints but obviously they have Trump on the on the cover and and they not only brought it out once but they brought it out a second time so um, again you know shorter lifestyle but funny one-liner and people buy that. Um, the next one is uh, foodie so just like food has been you know uh, we've all become foodies in certain ways right even if we don't like to admit it you know over the course of time so again um, what Franny was talking about earlier the best products um, you you know just being concerned for the way things are made what are the ingredients in those products that type of thing Um, and again foodie products typically are you know, they look like foodie products, right? Certain things are called out. They might, you know, vegan or the gluten-free or some of the other things that um, might be used to call out um, tend to be in foodie products. Um, Regional, I think regional, you know, like a champagne or a cognac, those types of things, that's happening, especially out in California in the Emerald Triangle, where now uh, flour that's grown in certain areas, you know, Gets, um, gets certain labels and flour that's grown not in those regions um, are not allowed to use that. So again, just like champagne or cognac and, uh, and people are really pushing for that uh, regional aspect or appellational aspect in California. Health and wellness, I think that's probably where we see most of the, you know, the CBD products, some of the other minor cannabinoids that are coming out right now. Um, but certainly health and wellness is, is a big play in our industry. Um, celebrities, so the last I checked, there were, I think, 54 celebrity brands, um, at least in California. Uh, I was typically not a fan, I tend not to be a fan of celebrity brands. I, I tend to question their motives, and, and, and more importantly, what value do they bring to the industry? Um, but over the course of the last few months, as I've said that, um, I've had a lot of people basically say to me, you know what? When Justin Bieber comes out with his Peaches brand, he's normalizing cannabis. And, you know, there are a lot of people that like Justin Bieber um, and like what he's doing. And because of that, they'll buy his brand. So while I wasn't uh, <laughs> initially interested in celebrity brands, the more I think about it, um, it just makes sense. You know, when Martha, Martha Stewart or Snoop or whoever, um, you know, shows up with a brand now, it just, it just, it, it's just a reiteration of, of that, you know, cannabis basically doing what it's doing. Uh, Seth Rogen was on Stephen Colbert two or three times in this last year. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres spoke about Can, which is um, a microdose beverage out of California. Uh, she and Chelsea Handler and Rosario Dawson and a number of, and Paltrow are all investors in that. So it seems to be coming around and uh, and getting more, more play and traction. I spoke about prohibition. Art and design, um, art and design is a big play. There's uh, there's a brand called Saints Joints and I think they're one of the best doing it um, where they work with, um, wow, I haven't been over to this side of the room. this is really interesting. Um, you know, uh, Saints Joints works with artists and basically has um, packs where they they do limited edition packs. They work with really well-known artists and the packs are sold out before they're even put into the dispensaries or the adult use stores. And that's because people are collecting them. Um, they've also worked with tattoo artists, a dozen of the best tattoo artists across the country. So everybody that's into tattoos and weed basically bought those, those boxes out. Um, they've, they've even been so successful that they did a plain white and black box and sold crayons with it where people could actually do their uh, DIY box and design their own box, and the winner of that campaign actually had their box made by the company. So they've been doing some really cool things just in terms of leveraging artists and designers, but also leveraging the community around their brand to help them develop their brand. Um, Gender. Gender is is really big, and again, Franny touched upon it before. You know, she was talking about a woman-owned brand, and I think that's really important. or products that are specifically made for a gender. Um, so I, I think a great example of this is, uh, let's say, uh, Whoopi and Maya. So, and, and and I'll just stop for a moment. So Whoopi and Maya is a great example of how all of these can overlay. So Whoopi is Whoopi Goldberg. Um, you know, she has a gender-based brand, which are benefits, which has products which are benefits specific for PMS and other things. Um, And there's also a charity component to it as well. So that's sort of, you know, how these things can stack up on each other and and start to create brands. Uh, As I said earlier, uh, the value brand, um, Bakers, Old Pal, some of of the um, bigger bags of weed that they've been selling over the course of the pandemic, um, some of them are sold um, already ground, some of them are sold with shakes, some of them are sold with, Rolling paper inside, and it's just done in that way so it's cheaper, and so people don't have to show up to the store once a week. They can just buy it and and use it whenever they want. Um, Cultivator brands. I think cultivator brands were really the first of the brands, if you will, right? You know, it was all the farmers and all the cultivators and all the folks underground that basically were making a name for themselves over the course of, of time. So, you know. Ed Rosenthal comes to mind. Even though he's a cultivator, he doesn't really have his own brand, but I guess Sherbinski, Mario, um, would be a great great example in California with his brand, Sherbinski. Um, and there's other cultivators. You know, the Jungle Boys. I, I could just go down a list of all the cool kids in that category. Um, luxury brands. I think luxury is, is a really interesting category because luxury and what you do with luxury products are show them off. So for example, my friends in Seattle own a company called Lyra Kanagor. <clears throat> and Kanagor is a cigar made with cannabis. And uh, their smallest one sells for $420. They also gold and platinum plate them. And there are people, I kid you not, that fly into Boeing Field in Seattle in their private planes to buy $15,000 platinum-plated canigars. Um which is insane in my opinion, but... Um, but that's you know that's there there's there's a product and there are people that want that and what's happened with this company is their sales have dropped why because if someone's gonna spend $15,000 on a Canagar, they're not gonna smoke it in their living room, they're gonna smoke it where people can see them smoking a $15,000 canagar. So, you know, it's not, in this case, it's not about the effect, it's not about anything other than it's the look at me factor, right? And because people haven't gone out in the pandemic and haven't been around each other, there's been a lot less of the look at me factor. So, um, so their sales have dropped dramatically. Um, Where other folks, for example, Saints Joints, their sales have taken off and skyrocketed. Why? Because people are buying typically two or three joints where they used to buy one because they're not sharing them anymore. So it's just really interesting to see how these things have sort of changed over the course of of the pandemic. Um, The last one uh, here is charity and cause, right? So this has been a really, really, really hot category in my opinion. I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with um, God, The Last Prisoner Project, 40 Tons, Justice Joints, Farmer and the Felon. Uh, if, if you gave me a minute, I could probably list about another dozen um, cause and uh, charity and cause brands. But we're starting to see a portion of the proceeds basically given back to a cause or a charity and and uh, or a social equity component. And I think that's cool because we are the first industry that's actually trying to change things we're looking at our history and we're saying it's pretty pretty fucked up with things things have taken place um, and and we're looking to change that and you know i think i think new york is a great example of that um, i don't know just very quickly uh, initially uh they were creating an auction system uh you know for licenses in new york and in an auction, the person with the most money wins, right? And so they went, uh, a few of my friends went back and uh, and work with the New York legislature to now basically offer up licenses first to those people that were convicted. Um, which again, uh, no, not that anybody asked me, but again, I don't know if, if uh, all the folks that have been convicted are necessarily the right business people either to take on Um, cannabis companies because there's a lot of work there but I think what's most important is that we're thinking about these things and that we're concerned about social equity or inequity and the industry as a whole is trying to change things and I think that's really important I think um, everybody uses cannabis and uh, and and we should just level the playing field quite frankly Um, and and make good on some of the things that took place in the past so, um, okay, now I'll get off my, my little soapbox there for a moment. Um, okay, so those are the cannabinoid brand archetypes or cannabis brand archetypes. And you can see, um, and, and I hope that as you go out now, whether it's on the floor or out to stores, um, you'll start to see these things. You'll start to say, whoa, that's a counterculture brand or that's a cultivator brand or that's an art and design brand because it's important because these are the things, these are the hooks that we use when building a brand to appeal to consumers. Um, and so the consumer is really important. And often too, I ask my clients, who are your consumers? And they pretty much say, we don't really know, more often than not. And I say, well, who would you want your customers to be? You know, who who are they? Are they soccer moms? Uh, are you creating a transdermal patch or a microdosed mint, and again, stereotypical form factors for that type of personality, but you at least have to sort of get to that place. You know, I know that my friends at Lyra Kanagar are not selling $15,000 to soccer moms, right? So they know what they're doing. They, you know, they're, they've got their product on uh, Vice's Most Expensivist, and they're hanging out with all the rappers, and they're hanging out with all the basketball players, and like that's who who they appeal to. So for them to basically start marketing to soccer moms just doesn't make sense. But they need to know that, you know, and aim a little bit more instead of just a, a broader, a broader target. Next slide, please. So when you finally put these all together, right, you've got the um, the consumer type starting with that always, their need state and their rituals and habits, then their, um, uh, f- then the form factor that's, that fits into that lifestyle, and then the brand archetype, which is the final overlay to um, to all of these things, and that's what creates a meaningful brand. Um, next slide. So um, so basically, just just to summarize, right? You know, the consumer type always start with the consumer. Know who the consumer is, and if you don't know who they are, try to figure out who they are. Um, you know, if, if you don't know who's buying your things, take a guess and you can and appeal to them and then you can always shift and refocus. Um, I don't like gun analogies at all, but <laughs> if you're gonna take a shot, you need to take the first shot to see if you're off, right? So if you're off, then you can re-correct. So it's important to at least figure out, the first, take the first step and then redirect if you need to. Um, their need state, right? So. Again, so the consumer type underneath that is just who are the consumers and what type are they and What conversation do you have? I think that's really important. Um, How educated are they, you know, how, um, how likely are they to be friendly to cannabis? So their need state, again, the subtractive and additive is really again, you know, are you alleviating pain? or are you looking for an aspirational or or inspirational or focused moment? Again, really different mind states um, in in starting off in in using cannabis or consuming cannabis. Um, And then the form factor, as I said earlier, there's so many different form factors. Um, And what's really important too, not which I didn't speak about the form factor, but what's tied into the form factor is the uptake and then therefore the dosing, right? you know, if, if you take a puff on a joint, that's going to affect you in one way. If you um, eat a gummy, that's going to affect you in a different way. Um, and that's because when you're ingesting, when you're inhaling, there's all these different things in terms of what's actually going on, um, scientifically and physically, that give you different effects. Um, so, again, it comes down to the form factor, which is really about your your need state and your ritual, but If you can't get the type of relief or the feeling or the benefit you're looking for in the form factor, you start to move through different form factors. And then the brand archetypes. Again, that's the final layer on everything in terms of um, how it all comes together. So with the consumer, you're appealing to who they are. Need state is when they're consuming, the form factor is the type of product they're consuming, and then the brand archetype is really that last layer over And I've said this already three times, consumer type plus need state plus form factor plus brand archetype equals a meaningful brand if you do it right. And there's plenty of opportunity to mess it all up too, I'll tell you that. Um, I think that's it, next slide. Yeah, so um, if anybody's interested in finding me or reaching me, you can reach me at davidatbrandingbud.com. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm all over the place at Branding Bud, um, and you can find my book on Amazon if anybody's interested uh, as well. And I'm I'm happy to answer any questions. Do we have time for questions? Okay. Yeah. Hi. Uh, how would you uh, accommodate the legality issues with um, uh, Delta A into your brand to take advantage of that kind of That's a great question. Um, you have time for coffee downstairs? Yeah, yeah. Just since I've been down here, there's so many people in the cannabis industry that that you know has has looked at the D8 and the D10s and everything, and sort of looked at it in, in a skeptical way. And I've had some conversations about that last night too. But I, I think one thing is really interesting. Over the course of, I guess the last. No, I'm. I'm going to ask you a question. Over the course of the last year, the name of this show has changed, and I think that is like such a telltale sign. If if it was all about CBD a year ago, and now it's the Alternative Products Expo, that's huge in terms of the cannabinoids that are, you know, taking place and evolving. Um, so to answer your question. Um, so many things are changing so fast it's really hard to keep everybody up to, up to speed um, in terms of you know real knowledge I, I think um, I think there's a lot of fake news going around um, sorry to use that uh, that phrase but you know so I don't know how to answer your question but I'll answer it with something slightly different so right now if you if people are interested in th in in cannabis typically what they do is they go into an adult use store and they ask for how much THC is in it and THC is this much of the story right there's the other cannabinoids there's the terpenes and people get lost with terpenes there are these long names that people can't pronounce and and they just get you know really lost around that but there's such an e- there's an easier way to tell that story so when i talk about terpenes i always talk about aromatherapy and I do that because most people understand aromatherapy. So if you think about aromatherapy, what's what's most relaxing? Typically it's lavender, right? You know, there's lavender in all these, almost ton, tons of products. So if we see lavender, and if the general public understands that lavender is relaxing, or chamomile is relaxing, and they also understand that citrus and pine and other things are uplifting, well, isn't it interesting that the terpenes that relax us are actually found in plants like lavender. So lavender is high in linalool. Linalool is high in on the indica side of things. Linalool relaxes us. Whereas if you look at sativas, there's pinenes and uh, limonenes and a whole bunch of others which uplift us. So there's a story there that we, as an industry, can talk about, and we and that everybody or almost everybody understands, you know, that aromas affect us. Um, they can, we can be uplifted and we could be sedated. And, and that story is so much easier told if you equate it to aromatherapy than, hey, there's all these terpenes. Oh, what's a terpene? Okay, but, you know, and then you go down all the terpenes and how they affect you. It's this story that doesn't really need to be told in that detail. So I think we need, so now to come back to your question. I think we need to find analogies and I think we need to find things that people relate to that we can talk to them uh, about cannabis. But you know, to get all heady and sciencey and even though I know that's needed, um, that's not how the general public talks and we need to find that way um, and we still haven't and I don't really have an answer for you, but we need to find that, you know, that track or that direction where people start to understand what it is, um, and it's true. People are confused about Delta-8, and people don't know you know, whether they're newbies or not. You know, There's always this debate around Delta-8, and then after you get through that, then what's Delta-10 and all these other things, right? What's HHC, what's THCV or THCO, all these different things. So I would say most of the experts in the industry aren't keeping or are having a hard, enough, a hard enough time keeping up. So to educate a general consumer and even before that, you know, um, policymakers, right? It's really difficult to, to do that. And everybody has a slightly different story. So I think for starters, we need to get on the same page because if we as industry folk are on the same page, we'll be able to help people that are outside of the industry get on the same page. I don't know if that answered your question, but okay. okay. All right, we'll start there. Thanks. Okay, sure. Any other questions? No? Okay, cool. Right on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, "Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls-Royce to get advice from those who take the subway."